Welcome to Finely Tuned. In each episode here, we're speaking with people who care about our built environment. This podcast is built by Gridium. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this conversation with Matt Kropp, Managing Director and Partner at Boston Consulting Group. Matt's experience includes work as a CEO at the intersection of the trucking, transportation, and technology sectors, and over 10 years advising leading companies in Silicon Valley at the Boston Consulting Group. My name is Millen, and I'm with Gridium. Buildings use our technology for data-driven and sustainable operations. It's sort of a thrill to have Matt join us today, uh, as we originally connected over some delicious barbecue at a UCLA Ventures meeting. However, it's his study of 48 technology companies and their approach to climate change that brings us here today. Um, We'll also cover some in-depth economic analysis by BCG on the economic case for combating climate change. Great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's jump in by talking about BCG's macroeconomic analysis of seven major countries uh, and their paths to two degrees C, which is the goal of the Paris Agreement uh, to keep the increase in global average temperature to less than two degrees C above pre-industrial levels. Uh, That's some impressive and useful work, Matt. Um, So my question, one of the main frameworks in this report calculates three paths. There's the current policies path, the prevent um, technologies, and the full two-degree C path. That's good news and bad news. Good news that proven technologies uh, can take uh, some, some major carbon emission countries most of the way to the Paris Agreement target. The bad news is there's a gap that remains. What does this look like? Yeah, so this is really interesting work, uh, and I, I think you, you put it right. It is it is sort of a good news, bad news picture. Um, but I think that the biggest finding was um, actually really a positive thing, which was saying that you know it, it's it can seem quite overwhelming. How are we going to get to this uh, the Paris Accord? How do we get to the two degree centigrade or even the one point five degree centigrade world? Um, and it seems a bit like an insurmountable challenge. Hmm. And so what we wanted to do was look at how hard was it going to be? Uh, and so we looked at seven countries in particular. So this is China, US, India, Russia, Brazil, Germany, South Africa. And we asked the question, if we were to just use today's available technology, how far could these countries get to that two degree um, centigrade world? And the, the encouraging answer was that somewhere between 70 and 80%, actually 70 and 90% in the case of India, of the way there, they can achieve with existing technology. Now, that's not to say that they're. That's not to say that they've achieved it. That's not, not right. to say they're necessarily on that path. But the technology exists to get seventy to ninety percent of the way there. Um, so that's encouraging. Had it been a much lower percentage, um, you know, that would seem a, a, a bit more hopeless than it does today. For those of us not so close to the relative data, how do emissions per capita across these countries stack up? I reckon there's some generally accepted sense that the you know U.S. tops the list, but what's the range? Yeah, for sure. So it depends a bit on what you're asking and how you measure it. So U.S. is the highest emissions per capita, so about 20 tons of CO2 per person. But if you look at carbon intensity of the economy, so that's the tons of CO2 per dollar of GDP, India, China, and Russia are significantly higher. So they're at about 1.5 a ton CO2 per dollar. The U.S. is only at uh, 0.5. And then if you look at just Absolute emissions, uh, China leads the way or is the, the farthest behind in a sense. So um, China is first, U.S. is second in terms of overall 
Commission. That path you mentioned about getting to the Paris Accord Agreement um, degrees, each country's path and the technology stack needed to get there is slightly different. What does that look like for the U.S.? Yeah, so the, again, here we were looking at um, four technologies that exist today. Um, what would we need to uh, implement in order to, to you know, move to a carbon neutral uh, future? And if we just look at the U.S., um, not surprisingly, the, the biggest sector that needs to change is power generation. Um, and so this is moving to, of course, wind and solar, nuclear, hydro, bio, gas um, as a, as a uh, stopgap measure. Um, and the amount of power uh, that needs to be transferred into uh, renewable energy is about uh, 72, or sorry, 7,200 terawatt hours. Just to give you a, a scale, right behind that, and this is maybe a bit surprising or surprising to me, is actually energy efficiency of buildings. Uh, so 4,200 terawatt hours of power moving to uh, renewables and efficiency. Um, so, of course, this is heating, cooling, uh, and power for buildings. I see. Germany's situation, it's carefully considered in the report, and it was encouraging to see that the German Industry Association, which had commissioned the study, uh, it united behind the core findings and and demanded more systematic climate action by the government. Yeah, so this we did a, a very deep dive on Germany, and um, what you see, and I'll go through the um, the elements here, but there's a lot that they need to do. They, they, it's quite aggressive what they will need to do to achieve their goals. Um, it's also quite commendable that the industry association has uh, signed on and 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 is pushing for the government, and we can talk about why. But in, specifically in terms of what they're looking at, um, for power, they need to get to 80% of power generation with wind and solar and basically need to completely move away from coal and lignite. All industries need to intensify efficiency efforts. Um, they need to move from fossil fuels to biomass uh, for heat generation, process heat generation in, in industrials. Uh, in the building sector, 80% of their current building stock needs to be renovated. That's quite significant. And then in transportation, essentially, they need to move you know, all cars or most cars and, and even a significant portion of trucks over to uh, electric mobility. Um, so it's quite ambitious. And then, but maybe the, the interesting part of this, I mean, why is the uh, industry association um, supporting this? Right. Despite the fact that this will cost $1.6 trillion through 2050, which is 1.1% of annual GDP for Germany, um, what we found is that actually much of this pays for itself. So again, because this is the you know existing technologies that are already commercialized, um, the actual direct costs after you factor in all the savings that they get uh, from efficiency is only twenty billion dollars. Um, and that um, when you actually take care of the hardships that would happen in certain sectors of the economy, it would basically not slow down the German economy at all as a whole. Brilliant. Um, so it's. Hence, you know, the industry association signing on and saying, you know, th this is actually not only is this good in terms of meeting our Paris Accord agreement, but it it actually will help the economy and it helps industry, and so we're we're behind it. I imagine the, and I reckon the cost of capital plays a, a role here. And I think at certain points, even for the German federal government, they can borrow at sort of nominal negative rates. Now, what role does the cost of capital play? Yeah, so that's that's obviously quite important, and and when you look at different countries and their ability um, to move down this path, you know, without hurting the economy, 
cost of capital is very important. So obviously for Germany, US, for example, you know, our economic cost of capital is 2% or lower. And so low cost of capital combined with economies that have high percentages of imports, um, it's actually much more eff- more effective um, and has a much more positive impact on, on the economy to make these changes. Um, so, you know, if my costs of energy are high, getting efficiencies that you get through these means actually is quite beneficial. If my cost of capital are low, I get a very strong return uh, in the economy on that investment um, because everything that I invest in actually drives economic activity. Um, so it's quite worth doing. It's the, the, the opposite is also true. So in economies like Brazil, where they have high cost of capital, it makes it much more difficult um, for the economics to pan out. The good news, bad news situation, good news being such that the proven technologies gets us you know, pretty close to where we need to be. The closing of the last 20%, though, uh, how does that stack up in terms of expense? Yeah, so that's probably the big bad news is that uh, that getting to that 70% of the 2% goal really can be done by economies without, um, you know, without slowing down. In fact, you know, as we were just talking about in, in an economy like Germany, an economy like the U.S., in fact, uh, it actually can um, be a positive to the economy to get to that 70% mark. Um, and that was really the, you know, the key finding of our report was countries don't need to wait for global consensus we can act unilaterally and it actually will help our economy, which is re- very good news. It means that you know, it sort yeah. of breaks the stalemate, right? Yeah. The bad news is that, does, that only gets to 70% of the way there. And the rest of the way to the 2% path will require global investments of $75 trillion. That's between 2 to 6% of countries' annual GDP. So that's obviously a, you know, quite a big impact. And that's because we don't have the technologies yet, uh, either invented or commercialized, to be able to close the rest of the gap. This is where your study comes in, your study of the 48 technology companies and their approach to climate change. How can U.S.-based companies uh, help bridge this gap? Yeah, so this is why we, we looked at Silicon Valley. And you know, if you, if you sort of take a step back and think about where is the most innovation happening, you know, who really does the innovation that changes the world, a lot of it comes out of Silicon Valley. And not only that, you know, not only are they creating new technologies, but they have a huge influence uh, in, in the culture, in, you know, in public opinion, et cetera. Uh, you know, think Facebook, right? think Twitter. Right. Um, so we thought we would look at how can Silicon Valley be part of the solution to drive that other 20%. There's another element of this too. Silicon Valley and, and technology as a whole actually consumes quite a lot of energy. If you just look at U.S. data centers, um, they emit 100 million metric tons of CO2 per year, which is 50 coal-fired power plants. Um, So not only can they make a big influence, they also have a big impact in terms of emissions. And so they sort of owe it to us to... to, uh, um, take a leadership role here. For Gridium, I can say it was encouraging to see a number of our customer organizations on your report in the leading stewards quadrant. Um, what were your findings here? So the first thing that we did is we looked at um, about 40 Silicon Valley companies. Um, these are primarily technology um, and ranked them or scored them on two dimensions. So one is um, how much potential do they have to influence the discussion? So this would be, you know, say Facebook, um, you know, 
contributing to the conversation in the public mm -hmm. versus the other dimension was how far are they in their participation in energy transition? And so there we had four categories. There's some that are doing nothing. There are some that have made commitments, but still have not acted. There are others that are acting. Um, actually, that's where the bulk of the companies are. So, so they've made commitments and are doing things actively to, to drive down their emissions. And then there's a group that we called stewards, which are really going above and beyond. So they, they have already taken action against their own emissions, and they're thinking about how can they be a, a very proactive um, participant in trying to drive the industry and trying to drive the world as a whole um, toward a, a zero carbon future. Maybe to point out a couple of the, the companies there, and we can talk about it in more depth. Mm -hmm. um, so these are companies like Apple, um, Cisco, Tesla, Alphabet, Salesforce. Um, we'll give you an example about HP uh, that, that are both um, very strongly taking action. They've um, set targets. They're addressing their own emissions. They're influencing the communities that they're in. And they're using their platform as uh, global brands to influence the conversation about climate. When I was reading uh, your team's report, uh, BCG's, uh, on the situation in Germany, I was not surprised to see a reference to cost of capital. In your report on Silicon Valley and your study there, I can say it was a pleasant surprise to see the reference to cultural impact, which I think hmm. is a dimension that's not uh, always considered. I don't know uh, if this vector is often considered. Can you say more and, and why you included that? Yeah, and I, I, I think you're right to be surprised, and it is not talked a lot about uh, in the climate conversation. We thought it was quite important because Silicon Valley tech and tech companies have an outsized role today in in the cultural con in our conversations in culture. You know, just think about uh, you know Twitter driving you know the Arab Spring, mm -hmm. or think about what um, Tesla has done. You know, Tesla. Before Tesla, there were basically no electric cars, right? We had the EV1, which uh, General Motors killed. Right. Tesla comes out and says, we should have electric cars, and electric cars should be cool. And you know, they didn't try to build mass cars from the beginning. They built a, you know, a very small number of, of very high-end cars that were you know, super fast and super cool, and people thought they were great. They right. moved to a, a larger group of, of high-end cars. But if you listen to Elon Musk, you know, his goal was to get humans off of the internal combustion engine. Yeah. Well, 10 years later, look at what's happening. Every car company has an electric car. You have car companies like Volkswagen saying they're going to move to 100% electric. Right. It actually worked. So, you know, if you think from a, a Silicon Valley perspective, they think about how do I change the world? And a, a big portion of that is how do they influence um, the rest of society? Um, I can give you a couple of other maybe smaller examples that that um, are maybe less lofty than than Tesla trying to get us off of uh, gas cars. So HP, for example, um, they advocate for energy efficiency uh, standards. They are one of the original signatories to the We Are Still In um, compact, which committed companies to abide by the Paris Accord when the U.S. pulled out. Mm -hmm. Another example is on Earth Day last year, Lyft offered free rides um, with its bike share operations in, in a few large cities to encourage carbon-free transport. You know, so that's, all, that's maybe the other end of the scale from Tesla, but they're creating awareness. They have a big audience and they have a, you know, a voice um, and they can be part of the, the conversation changing basically public opinion. I can say I took a Lyft 
battery powered bike into the office today and uh, it was it was a breeze. Let's say that I've got a leadership responsibility for one of the companies, Matt, in your study that you've marked as high potential to influence, but I'm not yet participating in the energy transition. Um, what should I do? So we laid out six steps um, or six key levers the company should think about. So let me go through them. Uh, so the first is, and quite important, is disclose. Um, it's, and this it was somewhat surprising that there were a number of Silicon Valley companies that have not yet disclosed um, their emissions. You can't get a result until you measure it. And so it's, it's critical that you start by creating a baseline. What are my emissions today? Um, what are my scope two and scope three emissions? Uh, you know, how, how am I um, playing within the, the supply chain and, and essentially what's my footprint? And so there are global um, regulators such as CDP, which can provide um, an, an audited uh, environmental study um, that discloses what your emissions are. Um, at this point in 2020, there should be no excuse for any company not to have taken this first step. Second thing is companies need to drive awareness. And so we were talking just a minute ago about um, this social impact that Silicon Valley can have. Um, they should use their platforms as global brands uh, to bring consumers and customers along and bring their suppliers along. Um, Silicon Valley you know, designs a lot here in California, but we build things overseas, as we know. And so they have a, a huge footprint based on you know their supply chain they should be driving um, awareness they should be driving uh, improvement within their suppliers um, so one example here was net netflix um, works with its uh, service providers so like amazon aws to measure measure and direct and report on their indirect energy use mm -hmm. um, you don't think necessarily about the energy that it takes to watch you know game of thrones um, but right. actually you know their big data center costs and uh, big data center energy consumption um, so using that platform is important the third thing we said is go big so it's going to be a it's it is an existential challenge for us as as a planet to get to this two degree target we're not going to get there with weak goals um, so some examples. So Apple has set a goal to transition to the company and its suppliers to 100% renewable energy. It's already achieved this. In fact, it achieved it a few years ago. Um, and now they're moving that um, basically uh, company-wide. Microsoft, as many of you may have heard, just announced that they will be going carbon negative by 2030. Essentially, they are paying to remove all of the carbon from the atmosphere that they have emitted since founding. That's a pretty ambitious goal, and, and I would yeah. challenge the rest of Silicon Valley to take up um, take up goals like that. The challenge, yeah. Fourth, partner. Uh, so there are great examples of um, these companies partnering with others to really drive change. So Alphabet, for example, uh, achieved 100% renewable energy um, through PPAs. So this is basically creating um, renewable energy um, uh, partnerships. Um, so they've generated three gigawatts of renewable energy through these PPAs. Salesforce is doing the same kind of thing in the communities where they have data centers. Um, they actually partner with the local community to create renewable energy. So it's not just creating re renewable energy sources for themselves, but actually using their presence as sort of an anchor tenant to create uh, much more re renewable energy around uh, that data center. That's great. Uh, the fifth is to be an influencer. So we talked about HP on the, you know, be still in. We talked about Lyft um, offering free rides. 
this is, you know, again, they have this platform, so they should be able to influence others, um, influence their their consumers, influence their suppliers, influence their partners um, to participate. And then the sixth is take a lead in driving to a negative carbon world. Um, and this is, so the Microsoft announcement is a great, great example of this. Stripe is another example where um, Stripe is actually um, setting aside a certain amount of money to pay for carbon reversals, so putting carbon back in the ground, and their stated goal is they will pay any price to do uh, carbon reversals, with the thinking that um, if they, if Microsoft, if others join them, um, will drive down the cost of carbon sequestration. And therefore, by being a first mover and joining together with other first movers, we can actually drive down the cost um, and make that a viable uh, option to start to um, reduce carbon by putting it back in the ground. Well, that's great work, Matt. Thank you. Um, where, when you think about extending this analysis uh, or this research, what do you think might be next and what might you be working on um, the rest of this year? So BCG is very committed um, to the, a 1% C world. Um, so we have, um, but we're doing a bunch of work both internally to, so we've already gone carbon neutral. We're looking at um, carbon reversals. We're working with our clients uh, to um, help our clients uh, reduce their carbon footprint. Um, so this is a, you know, a very big area for us uh, going forward. Um, I'm personally quite interested in, in continuing to work with uh, the tech community in Silicon Valley um, to try to drive uh, to more action. Um, I think we're very much at the beginning of this journey. Um, and I will say it's, you know, in some, you read the news and, um, you know, hear mm -hmm. about climate change. It, it can be quite daunting, but I'm actually very hopeful. I, I actually see that, um, you know, when you start to see things like Microsoft's announcement and you really start to feel like there could be, a, you know, a groundswell here and, and corporate action taking the place of um, government inaction. Um, so we very much want to be part of helping uh, these companies, um, you know, chart that course toward uh, a carbon neutral future. Well, I should say that there that this conversation has been in encouraging after a fashion. There is much work left to do. And thanks for your help, Matt. We this is great. Keep it up. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. OK, that's a wrap. For more episodes, go to the Gridium blog online or subscribe to Finely Tuned wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.